Access more. Welcome to the Happy Home. I'm Arlene Pellicane. The video games of today are a lot different than Pac-Man and Space Invaders. How has mobile gaming changed everything? How can you successfully limit video games in your own home? Digital media experts Dr. Andrew and Julie Doan are here to help. Strengthening you and your family. <laughs> Welcome to the Happy Home Podcast with your host, Arlene Pelican. If you haven't listened to part one of this Hooked on Games conversation, I invite you to listen to last week's podcast. You can find that in the archives. It's quite a cautionary tale. When today's guest was on a full ride scholarship from John Hopkins University. So, you know, he's just a little bit bright here. He was going to become a neuroscientist. He was also gaming 80 to 100 hours a week. And this happened for years. As you can imagine, this became a huge problem in his life. And this conversation about video gaming with Dr. Andrew and his wife, Julie Doan, it was a listener favorite. So it's my pleasure to air this encore presentation. I interviewed Dr. Doan for my book, which is co-authored with Dr. Gary Chapman. It's called Screen Kids. And if you haven't read Screen Kids yet, you can find out more about that by wherever books are sold, Screen Kids. And you can find out about the masterclass that goes with it at Happy Home. HomeUniversity.com. Well, today's guest, Dr. Andrew Doan, is the author of Hooked on Games. He's an accomplished eye physician and surgeon. He has his doctoral degree in neuroscience from John Hopkins. He speaks with medical and scientific authority on brain development and how digital media reprograms the brain. His wife, Julie, is a registered nurse who is a digital media addiction specialist. Let's get started. Okay, we've talked about the trouble that video gaming has wreaked in your marriage. So I'm just curious, do you play video games with your kids? We do play um, Dance Dance Revolution <laughs> with our youngest um, all together. Um, yeah. And and so we will play, but we like playing board games. Like that's the thing that we've, we've done instead of, um, you know, most of the electronic stuff, we don't really do that much anymore, but, um, but we, we love, we love board games. And then, yeah. you know, Arlene, you know, to go back to your question too, about, you know, what do we do with kids that are older? Cause that's where they're going to get more pressure as teenage years. So you can actually move it up to about one to two hours a day. Uh, the reason why I'm, I'm getting these guidelines is that it's based on research. So basically if yeah. you look at, you know, the, the research literature, if you actually have kids who play some video games, like you know one to two hours a day, they actually show better emotional benefit than those who don't, right? Because they don't feel left out; they feel you know part of it, uh, you know part of the the, the group. Um, there's some social interactions there, especially during that pandemic. I know a lot of kids play online together, and that can be very healthy. But you actually have to talk about online safety and how to protect your kids, which you kind of cover in your book, actually. So these are excellent points that, you know, kids need to be aware of and should be a discussion, you know, with the family. But you should also discuss with the children that, hey, listen, people can become addicted to this stuff. This is kind of like smoking. Yeah. This is kind of like using drugs, even though it's not as bad, but it can lead to that. So therefore, you know, they need to have or they have knowledge on what are the signs and symptoms of addiction. And if they do manifest, then the family has to do a kind of like a review and check on, on the behavior. So if there's any signs of addictions, they may have to back off on the activity. 
they may have to take it away completely, for example. And keep in mind that, you know, parents can't rely on their kids to make that decision because their frontal lobes are not fully developed. Our brains, our frontal lobe, the area that decides, you know, higher executive reasoning and function does not fully develop until you're age 25. So the kids are incapable, are most kids, I should say, some kids are capable of, but most kids are not capable of taking it away themselves. That's a tricky thing, right? If you think, okay, we're going to start this video game thing, but it's been one hour and now our kid is saying, no, I want to keep playing. I want to keep playing. And now we've played this game. Now I want to play this different game. And and you're entering this, this battle. And then if you do find it is a battle, what I'm hearing you saying is that's the time to unplug. Like this is not working, but for some kids it could. That's right. Absolutely. And keep in mind that the, 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 the models on how to make money is incredible. So they give away a free game now that has all the elements that I talked about, immersion, achievement, social interaction, and then they add elements of gambling in there. They also add elements of peer pressure, meaning that if they don't buy skins, which are basically, you know, outfits online, right? It's kind of like outfits that you wear socially. So if you play the game, the free version, you all get the generic outfits. You look like a newbie. Okay, so right, you look like a, right. you know, you look like somebody who don't know how to play. But exactly. if you buy the outfit, and these outfits can cost anywhere from ten to twenty to thirty dollars, they then you look like you're a you, a gamer that fits in. That peer pressure pulls in the kids, and that's how they generate the revenue. Some of these game companies are making on the order of a hundred million to two hundred million to three hundred million a month on what they yeah. call microtransactions. And yeah. so these gamers or these game companies hire psychologists to enhance the gameplay so that basically it causes human arousal. So they measure sweat output, they measure brain readings, they measure physiological output like heart rate, for example, that I mentioned yeah. earlier that you can actually measure with a Fitbit uh, at home, that basically they optimize the gameplay experience to pull people in, to play longer and it sucks you in. That is why your child who doesn't have a completely functional, fully developed frontal lobe will end up playing for hours and hours and hours and can't stop. Exactly. I mean, it is just really stacked against them, right? Of how to to fight that. You know, I'm holding in my hand a little card um, that I had, and it's a technology use guidelines for children and youth that you put out. uh, It's from 2014. And you did it with Dr. Hillary Cash, director of Restart. And and it's just these recommendations of, okay, from zero to two, three to five, six to 12, 13 to 18. And I'm just amazed because just in six years, so you published this in 2014, and it says handheld devices, right? So zero mm-hmm. to two years, never, three to five years, never, six to 12 years, never, 13 to 18 years, okay, right? That's right. And you look at today and you think of how ma- a lot of people will listen to that, you know, nonviolent video games also that you would limit those between zero to 12 years. And, uh, you know, online video games and pornography, of course, never across the board, but so many of these things introduce those things. So what I'm saying is today, someone, a parent would look and say, how is that possible? 
You know, whereas maybe 10 years ago, we would have thought, well, of course. So we're so shifting so quickly. And I think the pandemic has has just hyperdrive to be like, oh, we'll just take it. Let's just, you know, if my two-year-old wants to hold the phone, it keeps her happy. If my five-year-old wants to play an hour of video games, that's how I get my dinner done. Kind of talk about this shift of how we're not so cautious anymore about technology and what concerns you might have, both of you, as in, in the medical field. Well, you know, what we're doing is we're soothing our children. That, that's a soothing behavior because of the chemical reactions that are happening in our brains. So basically what we're unintentionally telling our children is that I am not going to soothe you and I don't mm. believe that you can soothe yourself. This thing is going to soothe you. Wow. That is the unintended message that we're sending. And that's frightening because yeah. we're disconnecting our children from relationship, which is what we're made for. We're made for relationship. And, you know, how do we learn self-control? We have to practice it. Yeah. And so one of the things that we, we, you know, we miss out on mom, you know, giving me a pat on the back and, or, you know, holding my hand and saying, you know, you can get through this, you know, you can cry it out or whatever, or, you know, you need to stop, you know, throwing a fit. I'm not giving you this thing so that you can soothe yourself, you know, and, Totally. Just, you know, we're, we're giving away our power as parents to teach our children these really essential, essential truths. And we have to suffer through it with them. I mean, let's be honest, right? right? Like, I don't yeah. like it when my, it's been a while since I've had a two-year-old, but you know, I don't like it when my two-year-old's throwing a fit. How will I stop them having fits from this day forward? Not one of the ways to con- make sure that that's going to continue is give into it. Yep. So, you know, again and again and again. Exactly. So, (laughs) I mean, I've seen seven year olds have fits that, you know, should have stopped, you know, five years previously, but because they are being quote unquote soothed by the phone or whatever, they're they're not able to get control. It's a practice that we need to, you know, all suffer through, but, you know, we all get through it together. I think that's why parenting uh, is so sanctifying, right? Right. Parenting is sanctified. Everybody's learning. Mom's learning. Dad's learning. Kids are learning. (laughs) We're all learning. Nowhere have I heard that parenting is an easy thing to do. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's the, but it's the best thing I've ever done. Being a mom and raising my children, um, investing in their future by making hard decisions like, I love you. We're taking this away from you. I see that it's consuming your life. I believe that you can get through this. We're going to get through it together. Um, we're going to, you're going to make new friends and, and we're going to practice social skills. We really have to think about these things. We can't just, you know, give over our power as parents to these things. Um, we miss out so much on, um, just connection, like real connection with our children. And, you know, parenting is only an 18 year deal. Yep. And if you do it right, they'll be your friends by then, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't do it right, then you want them to leave and you never want them to come back. But, <laughs> but if you do it right and you're connected to them emotionally and you're leading them and you're encouraging their growth, encouraging them to do hard things, supporting them through success and failure, and you're doing life with them, you're going you're gonna to have these great relationships with them as adults. Yeah. And you know, it is a season. Parenting two-year-olds is a season. It doesn't last forever. And I think we lose sight of the fact that it's not going to be like this every day for the rest of our lives. You know, our son is 
I remember him, you know, he's got this curly hair from me and he's got these mm -hmm. almond shaped eyes from Andy. He was beautiful. And mm -hmm. I miss being able to hold him. He's 23 yeah. years old. Right. You can't put him on your lap anymore. No, like, he'll squash hey. me. Along with the bad is the good too. Yeah. And so we, we, I mean, it's just, it's hard to get this, you know, we're busy season and we're locked down and, but we, you know, the days are long, the years are short and that's yes. so true. I'm sad that we have a toxic mommy culture going on right now in related to this. And I think screens are part of it. I really do. I've never heard so many women complain about their children as mm. I have just recently. And yeah, I think it's like because these children are interrupting their playing, they're, they're interrupting their mother's social media time. Mm. And boy, that says a lot. Yeah. It's like you're, when you're not going to be 80 years old and think, oh, I should have posted one more Instagram post or yeah. I wish I had one more follower. It's just not where your heart's going to be at all. No, it's not. It's yeah. Not. And really it is, it's the substitute, right? This digital substitute for the real thing. If you're searching for the perfect way to inspire and empower the young girl in your life, look no further than the NIV Kingdom Girls Bible from Zondervan Publishing. With over 400 engaging features, colorful illustrations, and helpful notes, this Bible is perfect for girls ages 8 to 12 as they learn about the strong and faithful women who came before them. This Bible brings the stories of women to life and shows how their faith and strength can inspire girls today. To order or check out a sample, go to nivkingdomgirlsbible.com, nivkingdomgirlsbible.com. This Bible, it's so pretty. It's got a lovely design. It's easy to read. And most importantly, it's a great resource for girls as they grow in their faith and learn about women who have impacted the world. Find out more, including how to order and see a sample at nivkingdomgirlsbible.com. The link is also in the show notes. Every girl deserves a faith-filled adventure. So from what I hear, it's okay, video games are dangerous because there are these things that, that can be problematic. If your child can handle it and you're playing together an hour or less, you know, hey, that might work. But if you see that's not working, which I think is the majority of households, mm -hmm. you know, that they try and this isn't working so much. Don't be afraid to pull the plug and be the bad guy. I'll tell you, I have so many people just ask, well, should I just take it away for a month or is it okay to take it away for a, you know, but it's, it's kind of okay to take it away, period, while they're well, in your home because well, you're the one paying for it. Yeah. Well, and also, you know, I mean, just thinking from a, a Christian worldview, we're instructed not to covet. We're instructed not to murder. What are these games and social media, mm -hmm. what are they predicated on? We are instructed not to lust. Those are, you know, those are kind of basic foundational top 10 do not do's. How about, you know, idols? If you want this thing above all other things and your affection is to the video games, we as parents are obligated to knock that idol down. Looking at it from like a 30,000 foot view, why would I give my son an hour a day to practice murder? Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't make sense. Yeah. It's, it's called a game, but that's really what they're doing. And, and how would I expect that if he is practicing those behaviors that he's going to somehow, somehow turn around and be a good godly man, 
um, mm. standing up for, you know, the least of these. When they're, they're so tied into it, when their affection is so toward the game. I mean, I was sitting in church. Uh, we're in the balcony, so it's kind of like stadium seating. And a woman is sitting in church. She doesn't have her husband with her, so I don't know if she's a single mom. Her son is about seven or eight, and he's playing games on the phone the entire time that we're in service. So he's not hearing a yes. single thing that's wow. happening. Like he, he heard none of the sermon because he had headphones right. on. Yeah. So he's physically in the building, but yet playing games that practice murder. How was that going to work out? Right. And I'm not trying to be a jerk and I'm not trying to like be condemning. But if we, if you carry that forward, what's the result going to be? If we're going to, if we're going to raise these godly men, which I hope that's our intent, that they would hear the word of God, that they would hear the sermons, that they would read their Bibles, that they would practice. You have to practice to become that adult. You know, this is the childhood right. is practicing for adulthood. And it really is that issue of our us as parents for us not to complain, but to be grateful for what we have, the treasure of our children, and then not to be afraid, like to go ahead and stand up and be the parent and say, hey, not on my watch. I'm not going to let these things happen. That's right. Mama bear. Yeah. Yes. Hey, I want to ask Dr. Doan, just as you have that specialty of ophthalmology, what, you know, I just think about the kids' eyes, just from a physical perspective, what is happening as kids, for instance, are online more than versus outside. And then the transition to mobile, you know, that used to be, oh, I've got to go here to game. But now here, just like what Julie is saying, now you're in church and you're gaming and you're in the car and you're gaming and you're the restaurant and you're gaming. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on just eyesight and how it affects and then the mobility of it now being on mobile. So in terms of eyesight, gaming doesn't have a, a, a serious ramification except for dry eye. So for example, mm -hmm. uh, you blink less. And so the reason yeah. why you blink less is that basically when you're gaming, you don't feel as much pain. And we know mm -hmm. that because at the University of Washington, we use gaming and virtual reality gaming to actually numb uh, pain while burn victims are getting treatment. And mm -hmm. so while they're playing video games, you can actually scrub their burns, you can rip off the bandages off of their, their burns, and they don't feel as much pain. So what happens is that children and adults don't blink as much and they can actually develop dry eye and having, you know, um, issues with dry eye. The other thing is actually at the central processing areas of the brain. So the blue light uh, actually um, can, or just the light in general, can actually stimulate the brain and disrupts your circadian rhythms. And so your sleep cycles can be off. And so now what happens is it takes longer for the child and the adult to fall asleep. They have yeah. problems with sleep. And sleep disruption will lead to a whole host of ramifications in terms of health problems. So you can get depression, anxiety, obesity, uh, hypertension, you know, all these problems because of sleep deprivation. That yeah. is, you know, that you can Google. You can just search, you know, ramifications of sleep deprivation, and you can get all the diseases and disorders related to sleep right. deprivation. The biggest problem here with mobile is that I am sure that if gaming was mobile, uh, back when I was growing up, it would be a, a, a bigger problem for me. And, yeah. and where, as an ophthalmologist, I see a problem is that I start seeing patients who come in for evaluation of their eyes because of developmental delay. 
So they want to make sure it's not vision problems that's causing reading, writing, and social skill problems and also mm. problems in school. So I check them out. They're completely fine in terms of the visual system. What I see now is a problem of the frontal lobe development. So because mm. you're on screens, let's say, you know, the average American child based on the Kaiser Foundation back in 2010, it's like seven hours, 38 minutes a day on screens for entertainment. That's a long time. So if an average American child is using about seven and a half hours a day, and that's like, you know, 10 years ago, and it's been up now to probably about 10 hours a day because of the mobile devices, that means their brain development is now biased towards that activity. So their brain will overdevelop in terms of processing related to technology types of activities, but now you have underdevelopment of social skills and communication skills and, and other skills important for life function. Hmm. So that is where the virtual autism comes in. So now these young children who are overexposed because of mobile devices are going everywhere with them, their brain is not able to develop fully. So I'll give you an example. Like when we were growing up, you and I, Arlene, we didn't have mobile devices. And so we didn't even have mobile DVD players in the car. Right. So yeah. we're, we're able to, our brains were able to develop because we would listen to the conversations in the car. We would look outside and, and imagine and use our brains in creative ways that are not being used now. Whereas if the child's being in front of a, a type of repetitive video all the time or a kind of like a repetitive theme, their brains yeah. will overdevelop in those skills but underdeveloped in other areas that we benefit as a child. And where I saw this was a big deal was when, when I talked to Hillary Cash when I was writing the book back in 2010, Hillary said to me, or Dr. Cash said, you know, Andy, your brain is not affected like the internet addicts that we see. As an ophthalmologist, I knew exactly what she was talking about because I deal with maldevelopment of brains all the time in terms of the visual system. Because if the mm -hmm. visual system does not develop timely in a child, you can lose vision in that eyeball forever. You know, because the brain does not connect the, that eyeball. It literally ignores the eyeball that, that's defective, meaning that, you know, the eye's not aligned or there's some problem with visual processing. The brain will actually shut down and it's called visual amblyopia. I knew when Dr. Cash said that to me was that what she was seeing in her, her patients that were young was a frontal lobe shutting down. Wow. So it's kind of like a lazy brain syndrome. That is the problem. And so I yeah. think that's an epidemic. So yeah. we're now seeing a rise in autism cases in terms of diagnosis. And so in that autism, you know, pool, we see both virtual autism, which are which is a type of autism that's induced by screens as well as the traditional autism that we're used to. So back in 1970, 1 in 5,000 kids were diagnosed with autism. Today, it's one in 54. If we don't change, it could be one in two in the next 10 years. So if virtual autism plays a major role in that, and we're totally missing that diagnosis now, which I've seen firsthand personally as an ophthalmologist and as a clinician, what if it's a major part of that pool? That's a huge problem for generations to come. Absolutely. You know, related to that, so someone who would say, well, my child has autism and it seems like the screen time really helps him or her. Mm. I never know what to say when people say that. So, so I know there's it's probably more complicated than that, but I'd love your take on okay, it. Okay. So it's very simple, actually. So if you look at the 16th century, there was a doctor named Dr. Paracelsus. Dr. Paracelsus was the grandfather of 
or the founding father of toxicology. He said, there's nothing on this planet that is not a toxin, but it's the dosage that determines mm-hmm. what's a toxin and what is actually a medicine or a therapeutic you know, modality. Yeah. So the amazing thing about this is that, yes, digital screens can help your autistic child if used at the right time with the right mm-hmm. dosage. The problem is if the dosage is like six, eight hours, 10 hours a day to modify that autistic child's behavior, you're going to have a problem. And I'll give you a scenario. There was a child that we, when we spoke at a church, there was a child that was growing up in that church and the parents used a video, a movie that that child loved. It was the Wizard of Oz. There's nothing against the Wizard of Oz. I'm not saying Wizard of Oz is bad. We're not making any statement about that. But what that child loved was the Wizard of Oz. That child was pacified by watching the Wizard of Oz basically hours and hours and hours at a time, you know, per day. That child could recite the entire movie. As a young child, it was really cute. But as a 25-year-old man in the back of the church still watching the Wizard of Oz, it became a serious problem, right? So what I'm saying is that the dosage, right? So basically, the Wizard of Oz probably could have been, been a tool to help facilitate rehabilitation of the brain and help that child develop and maybe, you know, extend some uh, outward developmental processes in the brain. However, when used eight hours a day, it became a problem. So your autistic child is going to love something in this digital buffet. They're going to arrive at this digital buffet and they're going to pick out their, their choice activity because that thing stimulates their brain like no other. The problem is now you're dealing with something highly addictive and something that Julie and I talk about in our talks is that no one is ever addicted to broccoli, nor cauliflower, nor carrots or any vegetables, right? We're all addicted to sugars. So we refer to as digital sugars. So your autistic child is going to pick out a digital sugar that they love and they're just going to overindulge and their brain is going to explode in development regarding that digital sugar activity. However, all the other areas that you need will be underdeveloped. And that's where the problem becomes. Totally. Oh, my goodness. Um, any closing thoughts, Julie, of things that we didn't get to? This has been just amazing. I really, you know, really think that we should um, take back our calling as parents to protect our children from the outside world. You know, there's um, over a million predators mm-hmm. online at any given time. Um, and they're not hanging out at the parks anymore, you know, yeah. um, stranger danger is a thing, but, uh, it's online. We're seeing a lot of human trafficking. You know, the United States is the biggest human trafficking country in the world. I think right now, the way that people get to your children is through online gaming and and on, and their social media. We cannot underestimate the power of what's happening when we're not watching And I'm not a paranoid mom, but, you know, it's so important that we we know what's going on, that our kids are not capable of making adult decisions. And, you know, that's why they have parents. So I just I'm just such a strong advocate for parents being parents and protecting their children. 
So much information, right? Such a great conversation. And I just want to encourage you, take this information and apply it. Think, how does this apply to me? How can I protect my child? You know, if your child is showing any signs of addiction, you know, what did they say to do? Did they say just to ignore it? Did they say it would just get better in time? No, they said, take those games away if your child is showing signs of addiction. Kids can have a frontal lobe delay of their brain, just like a lazy eye. If your child has a lazy eye, you would see an optometrist, an ophthalmologist, try to do something about that. Well, in the same way, they can have literally a lazy brain from underuse. And you have the power to shape your child's future just by protecting that brain. You know, Julie said, we cannot underestimate the power of what is happening while we're not watching. It's our job to protect our kids. So one step you could take is read this book by Dr. Andrew Doan, Hooked on Games, and let's limit that gaming or eliminate it altogether for the health of our children. Well, I hope that you've enjoyed this podcast. If you know someone else who's got a kid who really loves video games, please share this podcast with them. Subscribe to the podcast so you'll never miss an episode. You'll find us always on accessmore.com or the AccessMore app. You don't have to come from a happy home to create one. Remember, you too can have a happy home. <laughs>